Section 22 of History of New England, 1630 to 1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630 to 1649, by John Winthrop. Section 22, 1646, Part 1. At Ipswich there was a calf brought forth with one head and three mouths, three noses, and six eyes. What these prodigies portended the Lord only knows, which in his due time he will manifest. There was besides so sudden a thaw in the spring, the snow lying very deep, and much rain withal, that it bare down the bridge at Hartford upon Connecticut, and brake down diverse mills to the southward about New Haven, and did much other harm. This winter also the Swedes fort upon Delaware River, and all the buildings in it were burnt down, and all their powder and goods blown up. It happened in the night, through the negligence of his servant, who fell on sleep, leaving a candle burning. Some houses at Hartford, and a barn with corn, were burnt also, and two houses at Hingham in the Massachusetts. 1646, 26, 1, March 26th. The governor and council met at Boston to take order about a rescue, which they were informed of to have been committed at Hingham upon the marshal, when he went to levy the fines imposed upon Mr. Hubbard their pastor, and many others who joined with him in the petition against the magistrates, etc. And having taken the information of the marshal and others, they sent out summons for their appearance at another day, at which time Mr. Hubbard came not, nor sent any excuse, though it was proved that he was at home, and that the summons was left at his house. Whereupon he was sent for by attachment directed to the constable, who brought him at the day of the return and being then charged with joining in the said rescue by animating the offenders and discouraging the officer questioning the authority of his warrant because it was not in the king's name and standing upon his allegiance to the crown of england and exemption from such laws as were not agreeable to the laws of england saying to the marshal that he could never know wherefore he was fined except it were for petitioning and if they were so waspish that they might not be petitioned he knew not what to say to it etc all the answer he would give was that if he had broken any wholesome law not repugnant to the laws of england he was ready to submit to censure so he was bound over to the next court of assistance the court being at boston mr hubbard appeared and the marshal's information and other concurrent testimony being read to him and his answer demanded he desired to know in what state he stood and what offence he should be charged with or what wholesome law of the land not repugnant to the law of england he had broken the court told him that the matters he was charged with amounted to a seditious practice and derogation and contempt of authority he still pressed to know what law etc he was told that the oath which he had taken was a law to him and beside the law of god which we were to judge by in case of a defect of an express law he said that the law of god admitted various interpretations etc then he desired to see his accusers upon that the marshal was called who justified his information then he desired to be tried by a jury and to have the witnesses produced viva voce the secretary told him two were present and the third was sworn to his examination but in that he was mistaken for he had not been sworn but to satisfy him he was sent for and sworn in court the matters testified against him were his speeches to the marshal before thirty persons against our authority and government etc first that we were but as a corporation in england second that by our patent as he understood it we could not put any man to death nor do diverse other things which we did third that he knew not wherefore the general court had fined him except it were for petitioning and if they were so waspish or captious as they might not be petitioned etc 
and other speeches tending to disparage our authority in proceedings. Accordingly, a bill was drawn up, etc., and the jury found that he seemed to be ill-affected to this government, and that his speeches tended to sedition and contempt of authority. Whereupon the whole court, except Mr. Bellingham, who judged him to deserve no censure, and desired an open court to have his dissent recorded, adjudged him to pay twenty pounds fine, and to be bound to his good behavior, till the next court of assistance, and then farther if the court should see cause. At this sentence his spirit rose, and he would know what the good behavior was, and desired the names of the jury, and a copy of all the proceedings, which was granted him, and so he was dismissed at present. The contention continuing between Mr. Cliffs, deputy president of Lagonia, footnote, this was a plough patent often referred to in footnote, for Mr. Rigby and Mr. Jocelyn and other commissioners of Sir Ferdinando Gorge, they both wrote letters to the governor and council of the Massachusetts, complaining of injuries from each other, and Mr. Cloves desiring aid for his defense against open force threatened by the other part. The governor and magistrates returned answer to them severally to this effect, to persuade them both to continue in peace and to forbear all violent courses until some London ship should arrive here, by which it was expected that order would come from the commissioners for the colonies, etc., to settle their differences. These letters prevailed so far with them, as they agreed to refer the cause to the determination of the Court of Assistance at Boston, which was to be held 3, 4, June 3rd, next. For Mr. Rigby came Mr. Cloves and Mr. Tucker. For the province of Maine came Mr. Jocelyn and Mr. Roberts. The court appointed them a day for hearing their cause, and caused a special jury to be impaneled. Mr. Cloves was plaintiff, and delivered in a declaration in writing. The defendants, though they had a copy thereof before, pleaded to it by word only. Some of the magistrates advised not to intermeddle in it, seeing it was not within our jurisdiction, and that the agents had no commission to bind the interest of the gentlemen in England. Others, and the most, thought fit to give them a trial, both for that it was a usual practice in Europe for two states being at odds to make a third judge between them, and though the principal parties could not be bound by any sentence of this court, for having no jurisdiction we had no coercion, and therefore whatever we should conclude was but advice, yet it might settle peace for the present, etc. Upon a full hearing, both parties failed in their proof. The plaintiff could not prove the place in question to be within his patent, nor could derive a good title of the patent itself to Mr. Rigby, there being six or eight patentees, and the assignment only from two of them. Also the defendant had no patent of the providence, but only a copy thereof attested by witnesses, which was not pleadable in law which so perplexed the jury, as they could find for neither, but gave in a non-liquet. And because the parties would have it tried by a jury, the magistrates forbore to deal any further in it. Only they persuaded the parties to live in peace, etc., till the matter might be determined by authority out of England. This spring was more early and seasonable than many before it, yet many were taken with a malignant fever, whereof some died in five or six days, but if they escaped the eighth, they recovered, and diverse of the churches sought the Lord by public humiliation, and the Lord was entreated, so as about the middle of the third month it ceased. It swept away some precious ones amongst us, especially one Mr. John Oliver, a gracious young man, not full thirty years of age, an expert soldier, an excellent surveyor of land, and one who, for the sweetness of his disposition and usefulness through a public spirit, was generally beloved and greatly lamented. For some few years past he had given up himself to the ministry of the gospel, and was become very hopeful that way, being a good scholar and of able gifts otherwise, and had exercised publicly for two years. There fell out also a loathsome disease at Boston, which raised a scandal upon the town and country, though without just cause. One of the town, Blank, 
having gone Cooper and his ship into blank, at his return his wife was infected with Lus Venerdia, which appeared thus. Being delivered of a child, and nothing then appearing, but the midwife, a skillful woman, finding her body as sound as any other after her delivery, she had a sore breast, whereupon diverse neighbors resorting to her, some of them drew her breast, and others suffered their children to draw her, and others let her child suck them, no such disease being suspected by any, by occasion whereof about sixteen persons, men, women, and children, were infected, whereby it came at length to be discovered by such in the town as had skill in physic and surgery, but there was not any in the country who had been practised in that cure. But, see the good providence of God, at that very season there came by accident a young surgeon out of the West Indies, who had had experience of the right way of the cure of that disease. He took them in hand, and through the Lord's blessing recovered them all blank in a short time. And it was observed that although many did eat and drink, and lodge in bed with those who were infected and had sores, etc., yet none took of it of them but by copulation or sucking. It was very doubtful how this disease came at first. The magistrates examined the husband and wife, but could find no dishonesty in either, nor any probable occasion how they should take it by any other, and the husband was found to be free of it. So as it was concluded by some, that the woman was infected by the mixture of so many spirits of men and women as drew her breast, from thence it began. But this is a question to be decided by physicians. 6. 3. May 6. The Court of Elections was at Boston. Mr. Norris of Salem preached. Mr. Winthrop was chosen governor, Mr. Dudley, the last governor, deputy governor, Mr. Endicott, sergeant major general, and he and Mr. Pelham, commissioners for the United Colonies. The magistrates and deputies had formerly chosen the commissioners, but the freemen, looking at them as general officers, would now choose them themselves, and the rather because some of the deputies had formerly been chosen to that office, which gave offense to our confederates and to many among ourselves. This court lasted near three weeks, and it was carried on with much peace and good correspondency, and when the business was near ended, the magistrates and deputies met, and concluded what remained, and so departed in much love. The several committees for laws made return of their commissions, and brought in many laws which were read over, and some of them scanned, but finding much difficulty in digesting and agreeing them, and the court having much other business, another committee was chosen out of several parts of the jurisdiction in the vacancy of the court, which was adjourned to 7-8, October 7th, to extract out of the whole such as should be thought fit to be established, and so to reduce them into one volume, to agree with such as were already in force, etc. The last year the court had imposed ten shillings upon every butt of sack, etc., to be landed in our jurisdiction, and this spring there came in four ships with sack, and landed about eight hundred butts, but the merchants being much offended at the impost, having no intelligence of it before, for indeed there had not been a due course taken to give notice thereof to foreign parts. After much debate, etc., the court remitted the one half thereof for the present. See after four leaves. Captain Bridges was sent by the commissioners the last year to Monsieur de Alny with the articles of peace ratified by them, and with order to demand his confirmation of them under his hand, wherein also was expressed a readiness that all injuries, etc., of either part might be heard and composed in due time and place, and the peace to be kept at the same time, so as he would subscribe the same. Monsieur de Alnay entertained our messenger with all state and courtesy that he possibly could, but refused to subscribe the articles until differences were composed, and accordingly wrote back that he perceived our drift was to gain time, etc., whereas if our messenger had been furnished with power to have treated with him and conclude about the differences, he doubted not but all had been agreed. 
for we should find that it was more his honor which he stood upon than his benefit. Therefore he would sit still till the spring, expecting our answer herein, and would attempt nothing against us until he heard from us. The general court, taking this answer into consideration, and there not being opportunity for the commissioners to meet in season, only they had been certified by letters of Monsieur de Alnay's propositions, etc., and consented to a course for hearing, etc., agreed to send the deputy governor, Mr. Dudley, Mr. Hawthorne, and Major Dennison, footnote, Daniel Dennison attained later to great distinctions, serving many years as assistant and sergeant major general commanding the troops. He died in 1682, in footnote with full power to treat and determine etc and wrote a letter to him to that end assenting to his desire for the place viz penobscot which they call pentagoet and referring the time also to him so it were in september some thought it would be dishonorable for us to go to him and therefore would have had the place to have been pemiquid but others were of a different judgment one for that he was a lieutenant general to a great prince second being a man of a generous disposition and valuing his reputation above his profit it was considered that it would be much to our advantage to treat with him in his own house this being agreed a private committee was chosen to draw up instructions which were not to be imparted to the court in regard of secrecy for he had found that d'alnay had intelligence of all our proceedings and the same committee had orders to provide all things for the commissioner's voyage and to draw up their commission etc and it was ordered that if the deputy governor in regard of his age being above seventy should not be fit for the voyage then mr bradstreet should supply his place one mr william vassal sometimes one of the assistants of the massachusetts but now of situated in plymouth jurisdiction a man of a busy and factious spirit and always opposite to the civil governments of this country and the way of our churches had practised with such as were not members of our churches to take some course first by petitioning the courts of the massachusetts and of plymouth and if that succeeded not then to the parliament of england that the distinctions which were maintained here both in civil and church estate might be taken away and that we might be wholly governed by the laws of england and accordingly a petition was drawn up to the parliament pretending that they being free-born subjects of england were denied the liberty of subjects both in church and commonwealth themselves and their children debarred from the seals of the covenant except they would submit to such a way of entrance in church government as their consciences would not admit and take such a civil oath as would not stand with their oath of allegiance or else they must be deprived of all power and interest in civil affairs and were subjected to an arbitrary government and extrajudicial proceedings etc and now at this court at boston a petition to the same effect much enlarged was delivered in to the deputies under the hands of dr child mr thomas fowl mr samuel maverick mr thomas burton mr john smith mr david yale and mr john dand in the name of themselves and many others in the country whereto they pressed to have present answer but the court being then near at an end and the matter being very weighty they referred the further consideration thereof to the next session and whereas the law was drawn up and ready to pass for allowing non-freemen equal power with the freemen in all town affairs and to some freemen of such a state etc their votes in election of magistrates it was thought fit to defer this also to the next session footnote an effort for freedom brave and well justified the theocracy gave abundant occasion for such a petition several of the men who presented it we know to have been most respectable in footnote fourth june the norangnesets having broken their covenants with us in three days of payment so as there was now due to us above one thousand three hundred fathom of wampum they now sent us to boston to the value of one hundred fathom the most in old kettles 
excusing themselves by their poverty and by the Neantics and others failing to contribute their parts. But the commissioners, who were then two of them at Boston, refused to accept so small a sum, and rebuking them sharply for breaking their covenants both in their payments and other acts, told them that if they were forced to fetch the rest, they could as well fetch this. So they sold their kettles to a brazier in Boston, and left the pay in his hands for us, if we would accept it, when they should bring the rest. One Captain Cromwell, about ten years since a common seaman in the Massachusetts, had been out with Captain Jackson and a man of war by commission from the Earl of Warwick diverse years, and having a commission of deputation from his said captain, had taken four or five Spanish vessels, and in some of them great riches, and being bound hither with three ships and about eighty men, they were frigates of cedar wood of about sixty and eighty tons, by a strong northwest wind they were forced into Plymouth. Divine providence so directing for the comfort and help of that town, which was now almost deserted, where they continued about fourteen days or more, and spent liberally and gave freely to many of the poorer sort. Footnote. The episode is narrated by Bradford on almost the last page of his history. In footnote. It fell out while they were there that a desperate drunken fellow, one Voicy, who had been in continual quarrels all the voyage, on being reproved by his captain, offered to draw his rapier at him, whereupon the captain took it from him, and giving him some blows with it, as it was in the scabbard, he threw it away. Voicy got it up again, and came up to his captain, who taking it from him again, and throwing it away, when he could not make him to leave his weapon, nor forbear his insolent behavior, he gave him a blow on the forehead with the hilt of it, which made a small wound, which the captain would presently to have been searched and dressed. But Voicy refused, and the next day went into the field to fight with another of his fellows, but their weapons being taken from them, no hurt was done. And the next day after, his wound putrefying immediately, he died. It was then the general court at Plymouth, and a jury being impaneled, they found that he died of the wound received from the captain, whereupon the captain was sent for on shore. He offered to put himself upon trial, so as he might not be imprisoned, and that he might be tried by a council of war, both which were granted to him, and one of Plymouth, one of their chief men, but no magistrate, undertook for him, body for body, and some of the magistrates and other military officers were chosen at council of war, who, upon the evidence and sight of his commission, by which he had power of martial law, etc., acquitted him. The trained band accompanied the body to the grave, and the captain gave every one of them an eln of black taffeta for a morning robe. After this he came ten for June ten with the three ships to Boston, and presented the governor with a sedan, which, as he said, was sent by the viceroy of Mexico to his sister. It was a very fair one, and could not be less worth than fifty pounds. He and all his men had much money and great store of plate and jewels of great value, yet he took up his lodging in a poor thatched house, and when he was offered the best in the town, his answer was, that in his mean estate that poor men entertained him, when others would not, and therefore he would not leave him now when he might do him good. He was ripped out of his mother's belly, and never sucked, nor saw father nor mother, nor they him. At the last general court a bill was presented by some of the elders for a synod to be held in the end of the summer. The magistrates passed it, but the deputies sending some of themselves to confer with the magistrates about it, their objections were these. First, because therein civil authority did require the churches to send their messengers to it, and diverse among them were not satisfied of any such power given by Christ to the civil magistrate over the churches in such cases. Secondly, whereas the main end of the synod was propounded to be an agreement upon one uniform practice in all the churches, 
the same to be commended to the general court, etc. This seemed to give power either to the synod or to the court to compel the churches to practice what should so be established. To these it was answered, 1. That the civil magistrate had power upon just occasion to require the churches to send their messengers to advise in such ecclesiastical matters, either of doctrine or discipline, as the magistrate was bound by God to maintain the churches in purity and truth in, and which was assented unto. 2. That the end of the synod was not to proceed by way of power, but only of counsel from the word of God, and the court was at liberty either to establish or disannul such agreements of the synod as they should see, which could put no more power into the court's hands than it had by the word of God and our own laws and liberties established in that case. Whereupon it was ordered that howsoever the civil magistrate had authority to call a synod when they saw it needful, yet in tender respect of such as were not yet fully satisfied in that point, the ensuing synod should be convened by way of motion only to the churches, and not by any words of command. Footnote. The careful avoidance of the Presbyterian way will be noticed here. In footnote. A petition was presented to the court under many hands for the continuance of the two laws against Anabaptists and other heretics, which was done in reference to a petition presented at the former court concerning the same laws. Footnote. A petition of a nature contrary to that, mentioned a few pages back, and one which had more favor with the court. The Records of Massachusetts, Volume 2, 141, record a sharp rebuff to the liberals from the general court. In footnote. A plantation was begun this year at Pequod River by Mr. John Winthrop, Jr., Mr. Thomas Peter, a minister, brother to Mr. Peter of Salem. And this court power was given them to for ordering and governing the plantation till further order, etc., although it was uncertain whether it would fall within our jurisdiction or not, because they of Connecticut challenged it by virtue of a patent from the king, which was never showed to us, so it was done de bone esse, quos quo, etc., for it mattered not much to which jurisdiction it did belong, seeing the confederation made all as one, but it was of great concernment to have it planted to be a curb to the Indians, etc. Monsieur Latour, being returned from Newfoundland in a pinnace of Sir David Kirk, was, by some merchants of Boston, set forth in the same pinnace to the eastward with trading commodities to the value of four hundred pounds. When he came at Cape Sable, which was in the heart of winter, he conspired with the master, being a stranger, and his own Frenchmen, being five, to go away with the vessel, and so forced out the other five English, himself shooting one of them in the face with a pistol, who, through special providence, having wandered up and down fifteen days, found some Indians who gave them a shallop and victuals and an Indian pilot. So they arrived safe at Boston in the third month, whereby it appeared, as the scripture saith, that there is no confidence in an unfaithful or carnal man, though tied with many strong bonds of courtesy, etc., he turned pirate, etc. Mr. Lamberton, Mr. Grigson, and diverse other godly persons, men and women, went from New Haven in the eleventh month last, January, in a ship of eighty tons, laden with wheat for London, but the ship was never heard of after. The loss was very great to the value of some one thousand pounds, but the loss of the persons was very deplorable. Monsieur de Alney, having received our letter, returned answer that he saw now that we seriously desired peace, which he, for his part, did also, and that he accounted himself so highly honored that we would send such principal men of ours home to him, etc., that he desired this favor for us, that he might spare us that labor, for which purpose he would send two or three of his to us to Boston about the end of August, to treat and determine, etc. 
Upon receipt of this letter, the governor thought it expedient to call the general court, if it were but for one day, to have considered of commissioners to treat with us here. For he conceived that those who were invited to treat at Penobscot had not power to treat at home, and besides the court had declared their mind not to have chosen all these three, if they had been to have treated at home. But some other of the magistrates differing, he deferred it, and the harvest coming in, one thought better to let it alone. One smith of Watertown had a son about five years old, who fell into the river near the millgate, and was carried by the stream under the wheel, and taken up on the other side without any harm. One of the boards of the wheel was fallen off, and it seems, by special providence, he was carried through under that gap, for otherwise if an eel passed through it is cut asunder. The miller perceived his wheel to check on the sudden, which made him look out, and so he found the child sitting up to the waist in the shallow water beneath the mill. 5. July Three of our elders, viz., Mr. Mather, Mr. Allen, and Mr. Elliot, took with them an interpreter, and went to the place where Shamakin, the Indian Satchem, blank. A daughter of Mrs. Hutchinson was carried away by the Indians near the Dutch, when her mother and others were killed by them, and upon the peace concluded between the Dutch and the same Indians, she was returned to the Dutch governor, who restored her to her friends here. She was about eight years old when she was taken, and continued with them about four years, and she had forgot her own language and all her friends, and was loath to have come from the Indians. Footnote. She became reconciled, married in 1651 John Cole, and left descendants. In footnote. Great harm was done in corn, especially wheat and barley, in this month by a caterpillar, like a black worm about an inch and a half long. They eat up first the blades of the stalk, then they eat up the tassels whereupon the ear withered. It was believed by diverse good observers that they fell in a great thunder shower for diverse yards and other bare places, where not one of them was to be seen an hour before, or presently after the shower almost covered with them, besides grass places where they were not so easily discerned. They did the most harm in the southern parts as Rhode Island, etc., and in the eastern parts in their Indian corn. In diverse places the churches kept a day of humiliation, and presently after the caterpillars vanished away. Footnote. To one who examines the manuscript, the success of the transcription here will seem remarkable. No page better illustrates Savage's painstaking accuracy. In footnote. The court had made an order in 8 October last, for ten shillings to be paid upon every butt of Spanish wine landed, etc., and now this spring arrived diverse English ships, which brought about eight hundred butts. But having lost much by leakage, and coming to a bad market, they were very unwilling to pay the impost, and refused to give in an invoice of such wines as they had landed, whereupon they were forfeited by the order. But upon their petition the general court remitted the forfeiture and half the impost, in regard the order was made so lately as they could not have notice of it in those parts from whence the wines came. But this notwithstanding, they would not submit to the order, so as the auditor who had the charge of receiving the said impost was forced to break open the cellar doors where their wines lay, and took out the best wines for the impost, which by the order he might do. But this also they took as a great injury, because their best wines being gone, the sale of the rest was much hindered, and they threatened to get recompense some other way. The merchants of New Haven had purchased some land of the Indians about thirty miles to the northwest of them upon Pawtucket River and had set up a trading house. Footnote. Probably at the junction of the Nagatak with the Housatonic. In footnote. The Dutch governor made a protest against it and sent it to Mr. Eaton, claiming the place to be theirs and within ten Dutch miles of Fort Orange. 
Mr. Eaton answered the protest, acknowledging no right in the Dutch, but alleging their purchase and offering to refer the cause, etc. The Dutch governor by letter complained of it to the governor of Massachusetts, and also of Mr. Whiting, for saying that the English were fools in suffering the Dutch in their center, etc. The governor of Massachusetts informed Mr. Eaton hereof, the commissioners being then to meet at New Haven, and tendered it to their consideration, if it would not be expedient to call Mr. Whitting, then a magistrate at Hartford, to give account of these speeches, seeing the Dutch would expect satisfaction, etc. When the time of the synod drew near, it was propounded to the churches. The order was sent to the churches within this jurisdiction, and to the churches in other jurisdictions a letter was sent withal. All the churches in this jurisdiction sent their messengers, except Boston, Salem, Hingham, Concord, blank. Concord would have sent, if their elder had been able to come, or if they had had any other whom they had judged fit, etc. Boston and Salem took offense at the order of court, one, because by a grant of the liberties the elders had liberty to assemble without the compliance of the civil authority. Second, it was reported that this motion came originally from some of the elders and not from the court. Third, in the order was expressed that what the major part of the assembly should agree upon should be presented to the court, that they might give such allowance to it as should be meet. Hence was inferred that the synod was appointed by the elders to the intent to make ecclesiastical laws to bind the churches, and to have the sanction of the civil authority put upon them, whereby men should be forced under penalty to submit to them, whereupon they concluded that they should betray the liberty of the churches if they should consent to such a synod. The principal men who raised these objections were some of Boston, who came lately from England, where such a vast liberty was allowed, and sought for by all that went under the name of independence, not only the Anabaptists, Antinomians, Famulus, Seekers, etc., but even the most godly and orthodox, as Mr. Goodwin, Mr. Nye, Mr. Burroughs, etc., who in the assembly there had stood in opposition to the Presbytery, and also the greater part of the House of Commons, who by their commissioners had sent order to all English plantations in the West Indies and Summers Islands, that all men should enjoy their liberty of conscience, and had by letters intimated the same to us. To these did some others of the Church of Boston adhere, but not above thirty or forty in all. Footnote. The tolerant spirit of their brethren in England, the independence, was becoming a trial to the New Englanders. In footnote. 1. To the particular objections it was thus observed, viz. to the first, that the liberty was granted only for a help in case of extremity, if, in time to come, the civil authority should either grow opposite to the churches, or neglect the care of them, and not with any intent to practice the same, while the civil authority were nursing fathers to the churches. For the second, that it was not for the churches to inquire what or who gave the court occasion to call the synod, but if they thought fit to desire the churches to afford them help of counsel in any matters which concerned religion and conscience, it was the church's duty to yield it to them. For so far as it concerns their command or request, it is an ordinance of man, which you are to submit unto for the Lord's sake, without troubling ourselves with the occasion or success. At malus moribus bonae leges. The laws are not the worse by being occasioned by evil men and evil manners. 3. Where the order speaks of the major part of the assembly, it speaks in its own language, and according to the court's practice, where the act of the major part is the act of the court. But it never intended thereby to restrain or direct the senate in the manner of their proceeding, nor to hinder them, but they might first acquaint the churches with their conclusions, and have their assent to them before they did present them to the court, for that is their care. The court's care was only to provide for their own cognizance. 
and for that inference which is drawn from that cause, that the court might give them such allowance as should be meet, it is without rule, and against the rule of charity, to infer from thence any such sanction of the court as is supposed. For if they say only they will give them such allowance as is meet, it cannot be inferred that they will put any such sanction or stamp of authority upon them as should be unmeet. Two Lord's Days the agitation was in Boston, and no conclusion made by reason of the opposite party. So the elders sat down much grieved in spirit, yet told the congregation that they thought it their duty to go notwithstanding, not as sent by the church, but as specially called by the order of courts. The assembly or synod being met at Cambridge 1, 7, September 1st, they wrote letters to the elders and brethren of the Church of Boston, inviting them and pressing them also by arguments to send their elders and other messengers. Upon this, the ruling elders, being at home, assembled so many of the church as they could upon the sudden, but the greater part being from home, and diverse of those who were met still opposing, nothing could be done. The next day was Boston Lecture, to which most of the synod repaired, and Mr. Norton, teacher of the church at Ipswich, being procured to supply the place, took his text suitable to the occasion, viz., of Moses and Aaron meeting in the mount and kissing each other, where he laid down the nature and power of the synod as only consultative, decisive, and declarative, not coactive, etc. He showed also the power of the civil magistrates in calling such assemblies, and the duty of the churches in yielding obedience to the same. He showed also the great offense and scandal which would be given in refusing, etc. The next Lord's Day, the matter was moved again in three positions. 1. Whether the church would hold communion with the other churches, etc., and desired them to express it by holding up their hands, which most of the church did, but some of the opposite party resisted and gave this reason, that though they did assent to their proposition, yet they could not vote it, because they knew not what would be inferred upon it. Upon this the second proposition was mentioned, viz., whether they would exercise this communion in sending messengers to the Senate, and if not, then the third proposition was whether the church would then go themselves. Exception was taken at this way of doing a church act by the major part, which had not been our practice in former times. To this it was answered that in some cases, as the choice of officers, etc., it is needful to have every man's consent, but in other cases, as admission of a member, etc., it was sufficient if the major part assented, and for this practice of proceeding by erection of hands, that in Second Corinthians 14.19 was alleged, where the Greek word kero tonethes signifies the same. And in the present case it was necessary, because the order of court and the letters of the synod to us required, both in duty and civility, that the church should return answer, which the minor part could not do, therefore the major part of necessity must. Then it was moved by some that the third proposition might rather be intended and the church agreed to go to the synod rather than to send. To this it was answered, first, that it would not be convenient nor of good report to go in a singular way, second, it would savor of disorder and tumult, third, it might produce an impossibility, for if one man's conscience should bind him to attend, so might another man's, and then as well might every man's, and if all, or but the major part of our church should go hither, it were almost impossible any business could proceed in due order. In the end it was agreed by vote of the major part that the elders and three of the brethren should be sent as messengers, etc. The synod broke up and it was adjourned to 8-4 June 8th, having continued but about fourteen days, in regard of winter drying on, and few of the elders of other colonies were present. Gordon and two others of his company, viz. John Green and Randall Holden, 
going into england complained to the commissioners for plantations etc against us etc who gave order that some of ours then in england should be summoned to answer their petition whereupon some appeared but they having no instructions about the case and the writing sent over to mr weld the year before being either lost or forgotten so as a full answer could not be given in the particular and the petitioners being favored by some of the commissioners partly for private respects and partly for their adhering to some of their corrupt tenets and generally out of their dislike of us for our late law for banishing anabaptists they seemed to be much offended with us for our rigorous proceeding as they called it against them and thereupon without sending to us to hear our answers etc they gave them this order following by the governor-in-chief lord high admiral and commissioners appointed by parliament for the english plantations in america whereas we have thought fit to give an order for mr samuel gorton mr randall holden mr john green and others late inhabitants of a tract of land called the naragnasat bay near the massachusetts bay in new england to return with freedom to the said tract of land and there to inhabit and abide without interruption these are therefore to pray and require you and all others whom this may concern to permit and suffer the said samuel gordon etc with their company goods and necessaries carried with them out of england to land at any port in new england where the ships wherein they do embark themselves shall arrive and from thence to pass without any of your lets or molestations through any part of the continent of america within your jurisdiction to the said tract of land called naragnasat bay or any part thereof they carrying themselves without offence and paying according to the custom of the country and their contract for all things they shall make use of in their way for victuals carriage or other accommodation hereof you may not fail and this shall be your warrant dated at westminster this fifteenth of may to the governor and assistants of the english plantation in the massachusetts bay in new england and to all other governors and other inhabitants new england and all others whom this may concern nottingham f r a dockray f e r rigby c o r holland s a m vassal g e o fenwick f r a n elaine w m purefoy g e o snelling footnote the rift opening here between the congregationalists of england and america was indeed serious it is indicated in the margin of the manuscript that the document bore the seal of the earl of warwick as governor and admiral in footnote thirteen seven september thirteenth randall holden arrived here on a london ship captain wallmaster and sent this order to the governor to desire leave to land etc accordingly the governor answered that he could not give him leave of himself nor dispense with an order of the general court but the council were to meet within two or three days and he would impart it unto them etc and in the meantime he would not seek after him etc the council being met they were of different judgments in the case so as they agreed to take the advice of such of the elders as were then met at the lecture at boston being about ten the elders also differed some were very earnest for his commitment till the general court etc but the greater part both of magistrates and elders thought it better to give so much respect to the protection which the parliament had given him and whereupon he had ventured his life etc as to suffer him to pass quietly away and when the general court should be assembled which would be within a month then to consider further about their repossessing the land they claimed twenty seven september twentieth being the lord's day and the people ready to go to the assembly after dinner monsieur marie and monsieur louis with monsieur de alnay his secretary arrived at boston in a small pinnace and major gibbon sent two of his chief officers to meet them at the waterside who conducted them to their lodgings sine strepitu 
The public worship being ended, the governor repaired home and sent Major Gibbons with other gentlemen with a guard of musketeers to attend them to the governor's house, who, meeting them without his door, carried them into his house, where they were entertained with wine and sweetmeats, and after a while he accompanied them to their lodgings, being the house of Major Gibbons, where they entertained that night. The next morning they repaired to the governor and delivered him their commission, which was in form of a letter directed to the governor and magistrates. It was open, but had a seal only let into the paper with a label. Their diet was provided at the ordinary, where the magistrates used to diet in court times, and the governor accompanied them always at meals. Their manner was to repair to the governor's house every morning about eight of the clock, who accompanied them to the place of meeting, and at night either himself or some of the commissioners accompanied them to their lodging. It was the third day at noon before our commissioners could come together. When they were met, they propounded great injuries and damages sustained by Captain Hawkins and our men, in assistance of Latour, and would have engaged our government therein. We denied that we had any hand, either by commission or permission, in that action. We only gave way to Latour to hire assistance to conduct a ship home, according to the request made to us in the commission of the Vice Admiral of France. And for that which was done by our men beyond our commission, we showed Monsieur de Alny's letter to our governor, by Captain Bailey, wherein he writes that the King of France had laid all the blame upon the Vice Admiral, and commanded him not to break with us upon that occasion. We also alleged the peace formally concluded without any reservation of those things. They replied that howsoever the King of France had remitted his own interest, yet he had not nor intended to deprive Monsieur de Alny of his private satisfaction. Here they did stick two days. Their commissioners alleged damages to the value of eight thousand pounds, but did not stand upon the value. They would have accepted a very small satisfaction if we would have acknowledged any guilt in our government. In the end they came to this conclusion. We accepted their commissioner's answer and satisfaction of those things we had charged upon Monsieur de Alny, and they accepted our answer for clearing our government of what he had charged upon us. And because we could not free Captain Hawkins and the other voluntaries of what they had done, we were to send a small present to Monsieur de Alny in satisfaction of that, and so all injuries and demands to be remitted, and so a final peace to be concluded. Accordingly, we sent Monsieur de Alny by his commissioners a very fair new sedan, worth forty or fifty pounds where it was made, but of no use to us, sent by the Viceroy of Mexico to a lady his sister, and taken in the West Indies by Captain Cromwell, and by him given to our governor. Footnote. See Ante, page 273, in footnote. This the commissioners very well accepted, and so the agreement being signed in several instruments by the commissioners of both parts, on twenty-eight day of the same month, they took leave and departed to their penis, the governor and our commissioners accompanying them to their boat, attended with a guard of musketeers, and gave them five guns from Boston, three from Charlestown, and five from Castle Island, and we sent them aboard a quarter cask of sack and some mutton. They answered all our salutations with such small pieces as they had, and so set sail, Major Sedgwick and some other gentlemen accompanying them as far as Castle Island. The Lord's Day they were here, the governor, acquainting them with our manner, that all men either come to our public meetings or keep themselves quiet in their houses, and finding that the place where they lodged would not be convenient for them that day, invited them home to his house where they continued private all the day until sunset, and made use of such books, Latin and French, as he had, and the liberty of a private walk in his garden, and so gave no offense, etc. The two first days after their arrival their pinnace kept up her flag in the main top, which gave offense both to the Londoners who rode in the harbor and also to our own people, whereupon Monsieur Marie was put in mind of it. 
At first he excused it by a general custom for the king's ships, both French, English, and Dutch, etc., to use it in all places. But being now under our government, if we would so command, he would cause it to be taken down. We desired him not to put us to that, but seeing he knew our minds, he would do it of himself. Whereupon he gave order to have it taken down. There fell a sad affliction upon the country this year, though it more particularly concerned New Haven in those parts. A small ship of about a hundred tons set out from New Haven in the middle of the eleventh month last, the harbor there being so frozen as they were forced to hew her through the ice near three miles. She was laden with peas and some wheat, all in bulk, with about two hundred West India hides and store of beaver and plate, so as it was estimated in all at five thousand pounds. There were in her about seventy persons, whereof diverse were of very precious account, as Mr. Grigson, one of their magistrates, and wife of Mr. Goodyear, another of their magistrates, a right godly woman, Captain Turner, Mr. Lamberton, master of the ship, and some seven or eight others, members of the church there. The ship never went voyage before, and was very crank-sided, so as it was conceived, she was overset in a great tempest, which happened soon after she put to sea, for she was never heard of after. 7. September. Some few families being gone to the new plantation at Pequod, footnote, the Thames River, in footnote, some of them kept in the Indians' wigwams there, while their own houses were building. Some of these Indians, accompanied with some English, went to hunt deer, Uncas, the Mohegan Sachem, pretending that they had hunted in his limits, came with three hundred men and set upon them, and beat some of the Indians, and took away some of their goods, putting them by force out of their wigwams, where the English kept. Complaint being made hereof to the commissioners, who were then met at New Haven, they sent for Uncas and charged him with this outrage, etc. He confessed he had done very ill, and said he thought he was mad, so he promised to go to the English there and acknowledge his offense, and makes full satisfaction and for time to come would live peaceably with them, etc. The merchants of New Haven had set up a trading house upon a small river some thirty miles up into the country, and some fifty miles from Fort Orange. The Dutch governor, hearing thereof, sent a protest there against it, claiming the place to be in New Netherland. Mr. Eaton returned answer by the same messenger. A woman of the Church of Weymouth being cast out from some distempered speeches by a major party, the ruling elder and a minor party being unsatisfied therein, her husband complained to the synod, which being then ready to break up could do nothing in it, but only acquainted the pastor therewith privately. Whereupon complaint was made to the elders of the neighboring churches, and a request made to them to come to Weymouth and to mediate a reconciliation. The elders acquainted their churches with it. Some scrupled the warrantableness of the course, seeing the major party of the church did not send to the churches for advice. It was answered that it was not to be expected that the major party would complain of their own act, and if the minor party, or the party grieved, should not be heard, then God should have left no means of redress in such a case which could not be. Some of the churches approved their going, the rest permitted it. So they went, and the church of Weymouth, having noticed beforehand, gave them a meeting, and first demanded whether they were sent by their churches or not. Being certified as before, they objected this, that except they had been sent by their churches, they should never know when they had done, for other churches might come still, and require like satisfaction, etc. It was answered, the like objection would lie, if the churches had sent, for other churches might yet have required, etc., but they came not in a way of authority, but only of brotherly communion, and therefore imposed nothing upon them, but only to give their advice as occasion should require. This and some other scruples being removed, the church consented to have the cause heard, and opened from the beginning, whereupon some failing was found in both parties. 
the woman had not given so full satisfaction as she ought to have done and the major party of the church had proceeded too hastily against a considerable party of the dissenting brethren whereupon the woman who had offended was convinced of her failing and bewailed it with many tears the major party also acknowledged their error and gave the elders thanks for their care and pains seven september when william waldron a member of the church of dover upon pascatoquack received in the church in the corrupt beginning of it a man given to drunkenness and contention being after cast out and upon some formal repentance received in again being also a good clerk and a subtle man was made the recorder and also recorder of the province of maine under sir ferdinando gorge and returning from sacco about the end of september alone passing over a small river at kennebunk was there drowned and his body not found until near a month after eight october seventeenth a ship of three hundred tons built at boston was this day launched nine november fourth the general court being adjourned from eight began again and that night was a most dreadful tempest at northeast with wind and rain in which the lady moody her house at salem being but one story in height and a flat roof with a brick chimney in the midst had the roof taken off in two parts with the top of the chimney and carried six or seven rods off also one cross of connecticut had its pinnace cast away in norangasset bay but the men and goods saved mr haynes etc taken in this tempest halfway from connecticut and by providence brought casually in the night to an empty wigwam where they found fire kindled and room for themselves and horses else had perished this court the business of gordon etc and of the petitioners dr child etc were taken into consideration and it was thought needful to send some able men into england with commission and instructions to satisfy the commissioners for plantations about these general complaints and because it was a matter of so great and general concernment such of the elders as could be had were sent for to have their advice in the matter mr hubbard of hingham came with the rest but the court being informed that he had had a hand in a petition which mr vassal carried into england against the country in general the governor propounded that if any elder present had any such hand etc he should withdraw himself mr hubbard sitting still a good space and no man speaking one of the deputies informed the court that mr hubbard was the man suspected whereupon he arose and said that he knew nothing of any such petition the governor replied that seeing he was now named he must needs deliver his mind about him which was that although they had no proof present about the matter of the petition and therefore his denial was a sufficient clearing etc yet in regard he had so much opposed authority and offered such contempt to it as for which he had been lately bound to his good behavior he thought he would in discretion withdraw himself etc whereupon he went out then the governor put the court in mind of a great miscarriage in that our secretest counsels were presently known abroad which could not be but by some among ourselves and desired them to look at it as a matter of great unfaithfulness and that our present consultations might be kept in the breast of the court and not be divulged abroad as others had been then it was propounded to consideration in what relation we stood to the state of england whether our government was founded upon our charter or not if so then what subjection we owed to that state the magistrates delivered their minds first that the elders might have the better light for their advice all agreed that our charter was the foundation of our government and thereupon some thought that we were so subordinate to the parliament as they might countermand our orders and judgments etc and therefore advised that we should petition the parliament for enlargement of power etc others conceived otherwise and thought that though we owed allegiance and subjection to them as we had always professed and by a copy of petition which we had presented to the lords of the privy council when they sent for our charter anno blank then read in the court did appear 
Yet by our charter we had absolute power of government. For thereby we have power to make laws, to erect all sorts of magistracy, to correct, punish, pardon, govern, and rule the people absolutely, which word implies two things. One, a perfection of parts, so as we are thereby furnished with all parts of government. Two, it implies a self-sufficiency, coad subjectam materiam, and ergo should not need the help of any superior power, either general governor or etc., to complete our government. Yet we did owe allegiance and subjection, one, because our commonwealth was founded upon the power of that state, and so had been always carried on, two, in regard of the tenure of our lands, of the manor of East Greenwich, three, we depended upon them for protection, etc., four, for advice and counsel, which in great occasions we should crave it, fifth, in the continuance of naturalization and free allegiance of ourselves and our posterity. Yet we might still be independent in respect of government as Normandy, Gascony, etc. were, though they had dependence upon the crown of France, and the kings of England did homage, etc., yet in point of government they were not dependent upon France. So likewise Burgundy, Flanders, etc. So the Hans towns in Germany, which have dependence upon the empire, etc., and such as are subject to the imperial chamber in some great and general causes, they had their deputies there, and so were parties to all orders there. Footnote. These early discussions of the proper relation of dependency to the mother state are interesting. The ideas from which came the American Revolution are plainly seen, and also those from which was evolved the present English colonial policy. In footnote. And for that motion of petitioning, etc., it was answered, 1. That if we receive a new charter, that will be, ipso facto, a surrender of the old. 2. The Parliament can grant none now, but by way of ordinance, and it may be questioned whether the king will give his royal assent, considering how he hath taken displeasure against us. Third, if we take a charter from the Parliament, we can expect no other than such as they have granted us at Narangnesset, and to others in other places, wherein they reserve a supreme power in all things. The court having delivered their opinions, the elders desired time of consideration, and the next day they presented their advice, which was delivered by Mr. Allen, pastor of the church in Dedham, in diverse articles, which upon request they delivered in writing as followeth but first i should have mentioned the order of the commissioners sent to us in the behalf of gorton which together with their petition and declaration were sent over to us by the commissioners the order was in these words after our hearty commendations we being specially entrusted by both houses of parliament with ordering the affairs and government of the english plantations in america having some months since received a complaint from mr gorton and mr holden in the name of themselves and diverse others English, who have transported themselves into New England, and now are, or lately were, inhabitants of a tract of land, called by the name of the Ragnaset Bay, a copy of which complaint the enclosed petition and narrative will represent to your knowledge, we could not forthwith proceed to a full hearing and determination of the matter, it not appearing unto us that you were acquainted with a particular charge, or that you had furnished any person with power to make defense in your behalf, nor could we conveniently respite some kind of resolution therein without a great prejudice to the petitioners, who would have lain under much inconvenience, if we had detained them from their families till all the formality and circumstances of proceeding, necessary at this distance, had regularly prepared the cause for a hearing. We shall therefore let you know in the first place that our present resolution is not grounded upon an admittance of the truth of what is charged, we knowing well how much God hath honored your government, 
and believing that your spirits and affairs are acted by principles of justice prudence and zeal to god and therefore cannot easily receive any evil impressions concerning your proceedings in the next place you may take notice that we found the petitioner's aim and desire and the result of it was not so much a reparation for what passed as a settling their habitation for the future of that government by a charter of civil incorporation which was heretofore granted them by ourselves we find withal that the tract of land called the Norangasset bay concerning which the question is arises concerning which the question has arisen was diverse years since inhabited by those of providence portsmouth and newport who are interested in the complaint and that the same is wholly without the bounds of the massachusetts patent granted by his majesty we have considered that they be english and that by forcing of them to find new places of residence will be very chargeable difficult and uncertain we have considered that they be english and that the forcing of them to find out new places of residence will be very chargeable difficult and uncertain and therefore upon the whole matter do hereby pray and require you to permit and suffer the petitioners and all the late inhabitants of norangaset bay with their families and such as shall hereafter join with them freely and quietly to live and plant upon shawamet and other parts of the said tract of land within the bounds mentioned in our said charter on which they have formerly planted and lived without extending your jurisdiction to any part thereof or otherwise disquieting them in their consciences or civil peace or interrupting them in their possession until such time as we shall have received your answer to their claim and point of title and you shall thereupon have received our further order therein and in case any other since the petitioners addressed to england have taken possession of any part of the lands heretofore enjoyed by the petitioners or any of their associates you are to cause them which are newly possessed as aforesaid to be removed that this order may be fully performed until our further order neither the petitioners are to enlarge the plantations nor are any others to be suffered to intrude upon any part of the Narangasat bay and if they shall be found hereafter to abuse this favor by any act tending to disturb your right we shall express a due sense thereof so as to testify a care of your honor protection and encouragement in order to the effecting of this resolution we do also require that you do suffer the said mr gordon mr holden mr green and their company with their goods and necessaries to pass through any part of that territory which is under your jurisdiction toward the said tract of land without molestation they demeaning themselves civilly any former sentence of expulsion or otherwise notwithstanding we shall only add that to these orders of ours we shall expect conformity not only from yourselves but from all other governors and plantations in new england whom it may concern and so commending you to god's gracious protection we rest your very loving friends from the governor-in-chief lord admiral and commissioners for foreign plantations sitting at westminster fifteen may sixteen forty six warwick governor and admiral judge northumberland pembroke and montgomery nottingham manchester f r a dacker s a m vassal c o r n holland w m waller w m purefoy dennis bond g e o snelling b e n rudyer upon this order one question was whether we should give the commissioners their title lest thereby we should acknowledge all that power they claimed in our jurisdiction as well as in other plantations which had not so large a charter as we it was considered withal that whatever answer or remonstrance we presented them if their style were not observed it was doubted they would not receive it the advice of the elders were as follows concerning the question of our dependence upon england we conceive first that as we stand in near relation so also in dependence upon that state in diverse respect viz one we have received the power of our government and other privileges derived from thence by our charter 
2. We owe allegiance and fidelity to that state. 3. Erecting such a government as a patent prescribes and subjecting ourselves to the laws here ordained by that government, we therein yield subjection to the state of England. 4. We owe unto that state the fifth part of gold and silver, ore, that shall, etc. 5th. We depend upon the state of England for protection and immunities of Englishmen as free denization, etc. 2nd. We conceive that in point of government we have granted by patent such full and ample power of choosing all officers that shall command and rule over us, of making all laws and rules of our obedience, and of a full and final determination of all cases in the administration of justice, that no appeals or other ways of interrupting our proceedings do lie against us. Third, concerning our way of answering complaints against us in England, we conceive that it doth not well suit us, nor are we directly called thereto, to profess and plead our right and power further than in the way of justification of our proceedings questioned from the words of the patent, in which agitations and the issues thereof our agents shall discern the mind of the Parliament towards us, which if it be propense and favorable, there may be a fit season to procure such countenance of our proceedings and confirmation of our just power, as may prevent such unjust complaints and interruptions as now disturb our administrations. But if the Parliament should be less inclinable to us, we must wait upon providence for the preservation of our just liberties. 4. Furthermore, we do not clearly discern, but that we may give the Earl of Warwick and the rest such titles as the Parliament hath given them, without subjecting to them in point of our government. Fifth, lastly, we conceive that as the hazardous state of England, the case of the Church of Bermuda, and so this weighty case of our liberties do call the churches to a solemn seeking of the Lord for the upholding of our state and disappointment of our adversaries. The court had made choice of Mr. Edward Winslow, one of the magistrates of Plymouth, as a fit man to be employed in our present affairs in England, both in regard of his abilities of presence, speech, courage, and understanding, as also being well known to the commissioners, having suffered a few years before diverse months' imprisonment by means of the last arch-prelate in the cause of New England. But it was now moved by one of the elders to send one of our own magistrates and one of our elders. The motions and the reasons of it were well apprehended. So as the governor and Mr. Norton, teacher of the church in Ipswich, were named, and in a manner agreed upon, but upon second thoughts it was let fall chiefly for these two reasons. One, it was feared in regard that Mr. Peter had written to the governor to come over and assist in the Parliament's cause, etc., that if he were there he would be called into the Parliament and so detained. Two, many were upon the wing, and his departure would occasion more new thoughts and apprehensions, etc. Third, it was feared what changes his absence might produce, etc. The governor was very averse to a voyage into England, yet he declared himself ready to accept the service, if he should be called to it, though he were then fifty-nine years of age, wanting one month. But he was very glad when he saw the mind of the Lord to be otherwise. The court conferred with the elders about the petition of Dr. Child, etc., also, for it had been given great offense to many godly in the country, both elders and others, and some others had been made to it and presented to the court, out of which one entire answer had been framed, in way of declaration of the court's apprehension thereof, not by way of answer, because it was adjudged to contempt, which declaration was after published. The elders declared their opinion about it, but gave no advice for censure, etc., leaving that to the court. There was a ship then ready to set sail for England, wherein Mr. Fowl, one of the petitioners, was to go, etc. The court therefore sent for him, and required an account of him about it before his departure, and also Mr. John Smith of Rhode Island being then in town, and they were both required to find sureties to be responsible, etc., whereupon they were troubled, 
and desired they might answer presently in regard they were to depart taking exception also that the rest of the petitioners were not called as well as they whereupon dr child etc were sent for and all appeared save mr maverick and the doctor being the chief speaker demanded what should be laid to their charge seeing it was no offence to prefer a petition etc it was answered that they were not questioned for petitioning but for such miscarriages etc as appeared in their petition and remonstrance the doctor replied desiring that they might know their charge the court answered they should have it in due time it was not ready at present nor had they called them then had it not been that some of them were upon their departure and therefore the court required sureties for their forthcoming etc the doctor etc still demanded what offence they had committed for which they should find sureties etc upon this pressing one clause in their petition was read to them which was this our brethren of england's just indignation against us so as they fly from us as from a pest etc whereby they lay a great scandal upon the country etc this was so clear as they could not evade it but quarrelled with the court with high terms the doctor said they did beneath themselves in petitioning to us etc and in conclusion appealed to the commissioners in england the governor told them he would admit no appeal nor was it allowed by our charter but by this it appeared what their aim was in their petition they claimed a fear of perpetual slavery etc but their intent was to make us slaves to them and such as themselves were and that by the parliament commissioners meaning by threatening us with their authority or calumniating us to them etc for ourselves it was well known we did ever honour the parliament and were ready to perform all due obedience etc to them according to our charter etc the court let them know that they did take notice of their contemptuous speeches and behaviour as should further appear in due time in conclusion mr fowl and mr smith were committed to the marshal for want of sureties and the rest were enjoined to attend the court when they should be called so they were dismissed and mr fowl etc found sureties before night and were set at liberty a committee was appointed to examine the petition and out of it to draw a charge which is done as followeth the court doth charge dr child etc with diverse false and scandalous passages in a certain paper entitled remonstrance and petition exhibited by them in this court in the third month last against the churches of christ and the civil government here established derogating from the honour and authority of the same and tending to sedition as in the particulars following will appear one they take upon them to defame our government and to control both the wisdom of the state of england and the frame of our charter and also the wisdom and integrity of this court in charging our government to be an ill-compacted vessel second they lay open the afflictions which god hath pleased to exercise us with and that to the worst appearance and impute it to the evil of our government third they charge us with manifest injury to a great part of the people here persuading them that the liberties and privileges in our charter belong to all free-born englishmen inhabitants here whereas they are granted only to such as the governing company shall think fit to receive into that fellowship for they closely insinuate into the minds of the people that those now in authority do intend to exercise unwarranted dominion and an arbitrary government such as is abominable to the parliament and that party in england thereby to make them slaves and to hide themselves they pretend it to be the jealousies of others and which tends to stir up commotion they foretell them of intolerable bondage to endure fifth they go about to weaken the authority of our laws and the reverence and esteem of them and consequently their obedience to them by persuading the people that partly through want of the body of english laws and partly through the insufficiency or ill frame of those we have they can expect no sure judgment of their lives and liberties under them 
6. They falsely charge us with denying liberty of votes in such cases where we allow them, as in choice of military officers, which is common to the non-free men, with such as are free. 7. Their speech is tinned to sedition by insinuating into the people's minds that there are many thousands secretly discontented at the government, etc., whereby those who indeed were so might be emboldened to discover themselves and to attempt some innovation, in confidence of so many thousands to join with them, and so to kindle a great flame, the foretelling whereof is the chief means to kindle it. 8. They raise a false report and foul slander upon the discipline of our churches and upon the civil government, by inferring that the frame and dispensation thereof are such, as godly, sober, peaceable, etc., men cannot live here like Christians, which they seem to conclude from hence that they desire liberty to remove where they may live like Christians. 9. They do, in effect, charge the government with tyranny in impressing their persons into the wars, committing them to prison, fining, raiding, etc., and all unjustly and illegally. 10. They falsely charge and slander the people of God in affirming that Christian vigilancy is no way exercised towards such as are not in church fellowship, whereas themselves know and have had experience to the contrary. And if they had discerned any such failings, they ought first to have complained of it in private to the elders, or brethren of such churches where they had been so neglected, which, we may well think, they have not done, nor had any just cause thereof. 11. Having thrown all this dirt and shame upon our churches and government, etc., they endeavored to set it on, that it might stick fast, so as all men might undoubtedly be persuaded of the reality thereof by proclaiming it in their conclusion, that our own brethren in England have just indignation against us for the same, which they labored to confirm by the effect thereof, viz., that for these evils among us, these our own brethren do fly from us as from a pest. 12. Lastly, that it may yet more clearly appear that these evils and obliquities which they charge upon our government are not the mere jealousies of others, but their own apprehensions, or pretenses rather, they have publicly declared their disaffection thereto, in that, being called by the court to render account of their misapprehensions and evil expressions in the premise, they refuse to answer, but by appealing from this government, they disclaim the jurisdiction thereof, before they knew whether the court would give any sentence against them or not. End of section 22.